coming up on Philosophy Talk. If killing is wrong, how can the death penalty be right? I ask your forgiveness for what I've done. It was a terrible thing I've done, taking your son away from you. I hope my death gives you some relief. Why shouldn't the state kill a justly convicted, sadistic murderer? I just want to say, I think killing is wrong, no matter who does it, whether it's me or y'all or your government. Capital punishment, state-sanctioned murder, or justified retribution? Our guest, Robert Weisberg, director of the Stanford Criminal Justice Center. The death penalty. The ultimate punishment. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. After the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, capital punishment, that is, the death penalty. We'll start with some facts. Who practices the death penalty? What do they apply it to? Next, we'll consider some abstract philosophical arguments for and against the death penalty. And then, at the, in the final segment of the show, we'll ask whether we can justly apply the death penalty in the United States in the situation that we face today. So, John, what do you think about the death penalty? Ken, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little embarrassed. I always like to pattern my thoughts after the great philosophers, David Hume, if possible. But I actually don't know what the great philosophers say about the death penalty. You must. You're a, you're a classically educated kind of guy. Uh, I think you're just pretending. The great philosophers, like everybody, are kind of all over the map. I mean, lots of philosophers, philosophers as diverse as Kant, who thinks, you know, the categorical imperative and all that, and Mill, who's a utilitarian, they're very, they disagree on a lot, but they agree that the death penalty is all right. And, uh, and Thomas Aquinas, lots of philosophers support the death penalty. But there was a philosopher in, the, in 1767, Cesar Beccaria, who wrote an essay called On Crime and Punishment that got intellectuals all over Europe opposed to the death penalty. Actually influenced Thomas Jefferson to try and eliminate the death penalty in the early U.S. Well, I, I knew I could count on you for this erudition, Ken. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to be opposed to both Kant and Hume and St. Thomas Aquinas, but I do have a distinction. Uh, it seems to me that, that, you know, there's two kinds of discussions of the death penalty and whether it's justified or not that you're likely to hear in the philosophy commons room or the cafe. One uh, has to do with kind of the ideal, in the ideal state, it's kind of a very abstract philosophical question, in the ideal state where everything works right, would would the death penalty be justified? And the other is in, is in the practical world, the world we actually live in with all its limitations and racism and uh, expensive lawyers, uh, is it a fair thing? Now, on the first question, the abstract philosophical question, I guess I don't really see any reason why a just state shouldn't include a provision for putting, say, sadistic serial killers who are guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt to death. I, I have no problem with that. Well, I, I, one could argue with that point. I mean, I don't think it's as cut and dry as philosophically cut and dry as you're saying, but I do see your point. But, you know, we don't live in such a world. I mean, what do you think about the world in which we actually live? Well, I'm not a big fan of the world in which we actually live, although I think it has some very nice attributes. But when it comes to the death penalty, it's a pretty sad state of affairs. The state of California, the state of Illinois, 
uh, all the states, Illinois in particular, the Innocence Project started there. Lots of convicted murderers on death row found not by DNA tests to have committed the crimes of which they were convicted. Not everyone gets a good lawyer. Those who get expensive lawyers usually don't get put to death for the same crimes others get put to death for. Uh, so I'm practically opposed. I don't think we have this, the, the, the level of justice in the United States to really be putting people to death. But I'm not philosophically opposed. Uh, that's a good distinction, and our, our story arc is going to kind of reflect that, right? The abstract philosophical arguments and the practical real-world considerations, and we're going to make them bump heads. But to get us started, uh, our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, she's going to take us close up and personal to some of those practical problems you mentioned. She talked to a former death row inmate who was released when DNA proved him innocent. In 1982, 18-year-old Pamela K. Willis was found murdered in Oklahoma City. She was naked and had been stabbed and strangled. Curtis McCarty was an acquaintance of the victim. He became a suspect and three years later went to trial. You'll forget that uh, stuff you learned in junior high school quick, uh, you know, about the court systems and all that. I thought that I was going to get a fair shake at it, and uh, I didn't. The prosecution relied on evidence and testimony from Oklahoma City police chemist Joyce Gilchrist, which later turned out to be falsified. McCarty's attorneys had prepared him for the worst. But despite all that, when they said guilty, I almost fell out of the damn chair. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was bad enough that it ended up in court to begin with. But even then, the discrepancies and the just questions, general questions, red flags, as they say, were all over the place. DNA evidence now shows Curtis McCarty did not murder Pamela K. Willis, but he was incarcerated for 21 years, including 16 on death row. McCarty lived through the executions of scores of other inmates, many of whom he had known for years. Down there, it's not like they take you to another building or another facility or anything like that. It's right there. I mean, you ain't got to leave the quad. It's right there. It's kind of hard to be, you know, go back and watch The Simpsons or something when you know right over there, you can see the screens, and on the other side of those screens is the door. And they're in there. He says on the day of an execution, the mood is somber. Until right before the execution, and everybody starts beating on their toilets and kicking the doors and making as much racket as they can. I don't know how that got started, but it did. It's, it's feeble, I know, but... Nobody ever really talks about it, but I guess it's just a way to say goodbye to that person, like him or not. One of those executed was Billy Fox. He had been McCarty's cellmate for more than a decade. McCarty was there when guards came to take Fox to his execution. You know, when they come, they're coming. There ain't no saying no. Uh, you're going. And uh, he stood on his own two feet, but he still had that look in his eyes when he was leaving, and it just it broke my heart. I couldn't stand it. Shortly afterwards, the FBI began investigating Joyce Gilchrist, the police chemist whose testimony had helped convict McCarty. One of the 1,400 cases under scrutiny was that of Billy Fox. Well, I guess we're raised to believe that when people in authority, in trusted positions, tell us that this, this man or woman over here is corrupt and it's okay to take their freedom and, you know, trust us, that we believe it. Joyce Gilchrist was fired in 2001 for fraud and misconduct. But the results of the FBI investigation have not yet been published. Curtis McCarthy hasn't received any compensation for the time he lost on death row. There's no way to get that back. None. And the most 
satisfying outcome for me is never going to happen. And that's to see them wearing their orange suits and handcuffs, being paraded in front of the cameras. You're under arrest for what you did, and it'll never happen, ever. McCarty was released on May 11, 2007. He plans to go back to school and try to pick up where he left off 22 years ago. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.